How is everybody this morning? Good, good. All right. Well, it's good to see you guys here with us again as we all continue to uh, deal with a lot of craziness in our world. So it is a pleasure to be here with you today. About a decade ago, I had the opportunity to preach at a prison here in Massachusetts. Uh, it was a good ways away from Gordon Conwell, and that's about all I remember about it. Uh, let's see what's going on with this mic here. Uh, but going into that experience, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. I knew that I would be the speaker as part of the regular chapel service for a minimum security prison, and that was about it. Eventually, the day on which I was supposed to preach arrived. I was nervous. Not only did I not have much experience preaching, I had concerns about how I would be received by the men at the jail. It wasn't that I thought they were dangerous. I was worried that I might come across as thinking that I was superior to them in some way to ensure they didn't think that I thought that I wanted to make sure that we were all on the same plane in an effort to do this I decided to preach on the text that we are going to be looking at today a basic reading of this text makes it clear that we should not murder I thought this would be a good place to start in prison. My hope was to establish a non-judgmental baseline that wouldn't make the prisoners think I thought I was better than them. From there, I was going to go deeper into what the Bible expects of us in how we are to think about and treat other people. My preaching plan for establishing common ground had one fatal flaw. I had assumed that since I was going to a minimum security prison, there would be no murderers in the crowd. And it turns out that assumption was mistaken. When I got to the jail, I asked the chaplain, what sort of crimes are these men in prison for? And he said, oh, all sorts, you know, we've got a double murder in there. And I thought, oh no, this ruins the whole plan. Thankfully, my sermon went pretty well. The prisoners were very gracious. Today, as we return to the same passage that I preached so many years ago in prison, I have different concerns, but a similar anxiety to what I had the last time I preached on it. To my knowledge, there are no murderers here today or watching online, but there are some people that might be offended by today's focus. Today, we are going to talk about tribalism, which manifests itself in a variety of ways that include racism. Obviously, this is a sensitive topic. 
I've had a lot of conversations in recent months about racism since the death of George Floyd. People across the spectrum are angry and hurting. Many people of color believe they are being unfairly targeted. Police officers think that they are being unfairly blamed. And just about everyone I talk to feels misunderstood and frustrated. It is tempting to steer clear of racism. Trust me, I thought about it. I like working here. I want to continue to do so. But Christianity is not about avoiding hard questions. We are called by God to engage with the most difficult topics that exist through his word and spirit. The cognitive behavioral theology series we've been doing all summer is an attempt to lay a foundation that helps us to know how we should think and live in a world that is filled with confusion and falsehoods. Today we are going to continue that endeavor. Please turn with me to Genesis chapter 9 verses 1 through 7. That's Genesis chapter 9 beginning in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. Then God blessed Noah and his sons, saying to them, Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. The fear and dread of you will fall upon all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the air, upon every creature that moves along the ground, and upon all the fish of the sea. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves will be food for you, just as I gave you the green plants. I now give you everything. But you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal and from each man, too. I will demand an accounting for the life of his fellow man. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made man. As for you, be fruitful and increase in numbers. Multiply on the earth and increase upon it. Amen. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord remains forever. These verses reiterate a fact that we explored a few weeks ago. Every human being is God's image bearer of equal value in his eyes, even if our talent level varies. At the time these words were written, this was a revolutionary statement to make. Humans have a tendency to be tribalistic. We look at outsiders, those different from us, as threats. This sort of thought pattern is a natural way of thinking. Psychologists have done research indicating babies as young as six months prefer learning from adults that are similar to the adults they are used to. 
this fits with my personal experience young kids often find me scary between my height and the sound of my voice i suspect that they think i'm some breed of yeti they respond to me with fear apart from god letting us know through scripture there's really no reason not to think in a tribalistic way from a naturalistic perspective people that are different are in the worst case scenario a threat and in the best case scenario a competitor for limited resources what people that are different from me are definitely not is beings i have any sort of natural obligation to treat fairly depending on the time and place and history tribalistic tendencies have taken on different forms when the bible says all people were created equal we tend to think it is speaking against racism that is certainly one way in which people have treated others as being less human this is done on the basis of skin color which is inherently ridiculous in addition to racism throughout history and in the present humans have denied the image bearing nature of other people for a variety of reasons men have said women are lesser than on the basis of gender Nazis argued killing Jews, gypsies, and handicapped people was okay for one reason or another. Hutus killed Tutsis for ethnic reasons in Rwanda. Communists targeted the bourgeoisie over materialistic concerns. I remember the first time I realized skin color-based racism was just one way people denied other men and women made by god were his image bearers i was in hungary teaching english as part of a missionary outreach i was talking to a christian hungarian about the baltic countries to the south places like bosnia and croatia with disgust in his voice the hungarian i was speaking with said the people that live there are Slavs. We are not Slavs. Slavs are an ethnic group that the Romans conquered. It is from the name for this group that we get our word slaves. In this Hungarian's mind, Slavic people were inherently inferior something about their psychology made them predisposed to be slaves to a much lesser extent i have had people in new england look down on me because i am from tennessee tom just nodded yes <laughs> they assume i am ignorant or racist because i am from the south Anne had somebody ask her one time if she grew up wearing shoes. <laughs> Most people today take it for granted that all people are created equal. 
it is part of our heritage, especially in the United States. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights. This great insight of the founding fathers did not simply spring out of the ether. It was a product of the influence of Christianity on the whole enlightenment enterprise, a result of gospel seeds planted throughout the New Testament, especially in Philemon. The influence of Christianity is the same reason that anti-slavery movements developed in England and the United States. It was hard to make the case that enslaving fellow human beings was okay with the Bible saying all people are made in God's image. While there were certainly pro-slavery Christians in the past, the Southern Baptist Convention I grew up in split from the Northern Baptists in 1845 for just this reason. Over time, the teaching of Scripture exerted its influence through the Holy Spirit. The sin of tribalism that manifests itself in racism, misogyny, or any other disregard of those different from us has been a particularly challenging sin pattern to deal with throughout human history. The founding fathers, in addition to believing all men were created equal, were also wise enough to recognize the inherent threat posed by tribalism. They were informed in this by the Bible and history. James Madison actually designed the United States system of government to minimize the effects of tribalism so often exhibited by people. In Federalist Papers number 10 and 51, he argues at length how the Constitution limits the tyranny of the majority over the minority. Just as James Madison was concerned about tribalism then, we should be concerned now. While the Constitution was designed to minimize it, even the authors of that document recognized it could not be eliminated because it is a sin that resides in the heart of people that manifests itself in different ways at different times. One result of the many negative results of human depravity is that we don't tend to value others to the same extent we value those that are more similar to us and nowhere near to the extent we value ourselves. Tribalism in all forms is a problem because God will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Other people are our problem, our responsibility. Earlier in Genesis, just after the story of the fall and the curse is the story of Cain and Abel. One of the most famous stories in the Bible, Cain and Abel, two sons of Adam and Eve, make sacrifices to God. God is pleased with Abel's sacrifice, but not so much with Cain. So Cain gets jealous and kills Abel. 
God then asked Cain where his brother is. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The answer from God's perspective is clearly yes. In the verses from Genesis 9 we read today, it makes clear that murder is not okay. I can accept that pretty easily, and I think you probably can as well. We can likewise accept that racism is out of bounds without difficulty. This doesn't mean in any way we have met God's expectations for how we are to treat other people. Don't expect a pat on the back from God for not killing someone. Likewise, not thinking other people are inferior due to their ethnicity, skin color, or gender is better than the alternative, but it is not enough. The Bible makes clear God wants us to treat our fellow image bearers positively. We are our brothers and sisters keepers. Even when they are different, God expects us to see people as he sees them, as unique variations of, the, of a shared image. Ruth is one such example. She is a Moabite. God includes her and others like her in his plans throughout scripture. The laws of the Old Testament show active concern for all people as well. Zechariah 7, 9 through 10 is just one example. Those verses say, thus says the Lord of hosts, render true judgments, show kindness and mercy to one another. Do not oppress the widow, the orphan, the alien, or the poor, and do not devise evil in your hearts against one another. Jesus goes even farther than the Old Testament in clarifying Christians' responsibility to our fellow image bearers. He makes it clear that we should love our neighbor, then makes it clear every person is our neighbor in the story of the Good Samaritan. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes so far as to command us to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us, that we may be children of our Heavenly Father. We are supposed to seek the good of those who actively seek our ill. We should want justice even for those who treat us unjustly. Behaving this way is only possible through the recognition that this is what Jesus himself did for us. He responded to our injustice toward him with love. Even from the cross, he cried out, Forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Any who have experienced God's grace are incredibly privileged by virtue of being in Christ. Our Father is literally the King. We did nothing to earn this favor. Despite it, Despite us, our inheritance is guaranteed. Our privileged status should lead us to be generous with others. The way we treat others is an indicator of how much we actually understand 
the gospel. We should show the same mercy to other people that God himself has shown to us. The way people treat those that are different, especially those with less power, will have consequences. Verse 6 says, Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. Human life is the most valuable thing God created. Destroying human life is a crime against God. It is the most heinous crime imaginable. Murder results in significant consequences for the perpetrator. This is true for groups as well as individuals. In 1945, the Japanese paid for the blood they had shed in conquering China with the firebombing of their cities. A similar consequence happens to any who are responsible for bloodshed. From the Bible's perspective, injustice is a form of bloodshed which takes place over time through individual action or inaction, and in societies by economic and political patterns that target the weak. The third chapter of the book of Micah highlights this. Injustice is described there as eating people's flesh and stripping off their skin. The prophet states the leaders of Israel have built Zion with bloodshed. God cares about justice for all his image bearers. He expects all people to seek justice for one another. The challenge that Christians must take on in this cultural moment is defining justice from a biblical perspective. The world has its own problematic definitions of justice. Some of these definitions are just flat out wrong. Some are just incomplete. Worldly approaches don't acknowledge the effect of depravity and the resulting curse that affect all people individually and corporately. They're not built on the ultimate truth that all human life is equally valuable due to having been created in God's image. Justice-focused policies that result from a partial understanding of the human condition create new injustices. Attempts to help often end up hurting for this reason. As Christians, our task is to expose our decadent society to the salt and light of God's truth in all areas, including justice. To the extent that we do so, we prevent our society from experiencing God's wrath poured out for injustice. In fact, we're not just called to keep society from getting worse, but to be a key part of the pursuit of the goal stated in the preamble of the United States Constitution of forming a more perfect union through establishing justice, ensuring domestic tranquility, providing for the common defense, promoting the general welfare, and securing the blessings of liberty. 
this is in no way a new goal for Christians. Augustine, a 4th century citizen of Rome, wrote that were our religion listened to as it deserves, it would establish, consecrate, strengthen, and enlarge the commonwealth in a way beyond all that Romulus, Numa, Brutus, and all the other men of renown in Roman history achieved. This church has an awesome history of doing what Augustine described in the context of American history. Benjamin Coleman, who was a deacon here, was a leading abolitionist during the American Revolution. He was so passionate that on December 21st, 1780, he actually brought charges within this church against the pastor of Byfield at the time, Reverend Moses Parsons, for owning slaves. This guy put his money where his mouth was. As early as 1774 and again in 1776, he had published articles calling upon the people if they would be prospered in their own struggle for freedom to grant it to those whom they held in bondage. Think about the pain and the heartache that could have been avoided in the United States if Coleman's fellow patriots had listened to him at that time. Nonetheless, he fulfilled the role of a Christian watchman, calling out the truth even if at the time few people cared to listen. We should do the same both for those that are less fortunate and to save ourselves and others from God's judgment. God cares tremendously for his image bearers. He takes their destruction very seriously. He gets just as fired up when those made in his image are treated as if they don't have any value. Thankfully, we have progressed to a point as human beings that saying it is wrong to murder people or deny their humanity because they look different is not a bold claim to make. Much of the progress is owed to the influence of Christian teaching on society. We should celebrate this progress while also recognizing we must remain on the offensive. The human tendency to be tribalistic has not disappeared. Sin is deceptive. It will forever find new ways of causing division along racial, ethnic, or other lines. As Christians, we are called to be salt and light in the world for the good of all people. We should share God's truth in a way that improves the understanding of justice for all people in the world we live in. Doing so is incredibly hard. It has never been easy. We must have a deep understanding of biblical justice. This means we need to be engaged with scripture more than the particular perspective of any cable pundit, newspaper, website, or political candidate. If our perspective 
on how to treat other people with love and justice is not primarily a product of what God has stated in his word, it will be a product of this world's principalities. We also need to understand the perspective of those that are different from us. Both those that we find it hard to relate to because of their different life experiences and those we consider our enemies. We need to make a special effort to be quick to listen and slow to speak in a world that has decided listening is a sign of weakness. As Christians, we can have confidence in the knowledge that God's ultimate truth will be victorious. That justice and love will ultimately win. Until that day, we are called to help the nation we live in be more in line with biblical justice. By doing so, we show that we cherish all that God has created in his image, fulfilling his commands to us. Let's pray. Dear Lord, this is one of those sermons where it is so easy to say something that's understood in a certain way that is is not in line with with my intent or your word lord and is a situation where i am very aware of the limits of my ability to communicate in the world that we live in i pray that your spirit would make up for that extreme deficiency lord I pray that it would operate in the hearts and minds of everyone here and that we would be a people whose understanding of what is good and just and of how to love others, even those that we consider our enemies, is formed by your word and that we would be able to apply that ultimate truth in a world that doesn't want to listen and is formed by things other than your word, even as it has experienced so much good from your word. I pray that you would be with us as our culture continues to be more and more of a place where it is difficult to have these conversations. I pray that we would be rooted in your word and that your justice would continue to grow. I ask all these things in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, we are going to sing hymn number 92, Love Divine, All Love Excelling, and we are going to sing verses 1, 2, and 4. <laughs> 